0: From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President, April Kapu. And this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse. AANP's official podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. Throughout this year, we've been speaking with deans of distinguished academic nursing programs to learn more about the unique tenets of NP education and why this education has propelled the role of the NP forward as effective effective and comprehensive healthcare providers, increasing access to healthcare across all settings. Today, we will be speaking with Rush College of Nursing Dean, Christine Kennedy, a distinguished academic nursing scholar and leader. Dean Kennedy is committed to health equity internationally with more than 13 million in funding from the National Institutes of Health, National Institute of Nursing Research, Health Resources Services Administration and the State of California Maternal Child Health Agency, which has resulted in more than 100 publications, her research has influenced health policy in communities across the globe. Please welcome Dean Christine Kennedy to NP Pulse. Welcome to N.P. Paulstein, Kennedy. We are so excited to have you here with us today.
1: April, I am absolutely delighted to be able to spend some time with you and all those listeners. It's so exciting to think that nurse practitioners are able to, you know, move into technology as a way for us all to continue to communicate with each other.
0: We are really doing that. It, um, and to some degree, it took a pandemic to move to a lot of new technology. But the podcast, um, they have just been fantastic. And we have so many listeners out there that listen on the way to work or as they're walking. And we are just delighted to be able to speak with you as one of our deans uh, in our dean series and what we really want to do is hear from you as the expert more about nurse practitioner education. There's just so much out there floating around, some correct, some not correct about nurse practitioner education, but we really wanna hear more from you specifically. But before we jump into that today, I would really love to get to know you better, Christine. I follow you on Twitter and I just see everything that you're doing. I'd love to know more about your professional background, your professional and your academic journey. How did you get to Dean of the School of Nursing there at Rush? Well,
1: I you know, students ask me a similar question, April, and that as if one sits down at the age of 18 and plans the future. (laughs) And I always um, laugh about that and, and disabuse them of the idea that I had any foresight or a crystal ball about what I wanted to do in that regards of my uh, my professional life. So the first disclaimer is no, I did not sit down and plan that second disclaimer <laughs> is my career had a wandering path to some extent. Um, but I really, I encourage students in particular to not be too worried about um, that wandering path model. Cause I really do think that for nursing in particular, it allows um us to have just a richer professional life and uh, contributions we make in terms of taking care of our patients and the populations we work with. So uh, I I actually I want really wanted to be a horse vet. I will tell you that I grew up in a a, a family (laughs) with horses. And uh, so that was not in the stars. Uh, based on parental input uh, as what they thought about that idea. And this was quite a while ago. Um, However, I did. I'm a second degree uh, nurse. I my first degree at the University of Wisconsin was in uh, human nutrition. And I was very interested in that. And I however, you know, to the bane of the existence of that department in my last year in my clinical residency or as I was finishing up, I worked at one of the free clinics out in, outside of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And it was in the uh, Menominee and Oneida Nation area. And it was a free clinic. So it was a WIC clinic in essence. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. as a nutrition student, I don't know if it was the first nurse practitioner in Wisconsin. I don't really can't say that's for sure. But I worked along it. A nurse practitioner or Pete's nurse practitioner. And I okay. thought, I want to do what she's doing because it was <laughs> this whole range of interacting with um, moms and their and their little ones. So that opened the, my eyes in the door. And so I went back to nursing school Um, You know, baccalaureate did another baccalaureate was before the days of there being these second degree entry specific programs. Mm -hmm. And then the rest rolled around, rolled out more in a traditional sense of um, getting a baccalaureate nursing, eventually going on for a, a master's degree. And um, that was at Boston College in the Pete's Nurse Practitioner Program. Okay. I spent some time at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia as a NICU nurse along before going mm-hmm. back to grad school. So that's sort of the traditional story of, you know, work, time out go back to school, work time out, go back to school, which I do not encourage people to do anymore. I say, don't take these big chunks of years in between your jobs to go to school. I I do think that nursing um, should move more in parallel to the other specialties of in health sciences and have our young people Go through school and, Mm -hmm. you know, keep going, if you will, and not take years and years in between degrees. But um, so I I didn't practice what I preach now, but I didn't know that back then either. Um, So I went that traditional route of working for a while, going to graduate school then working for a while and then going back to graduate school. And I did a Ph.D. actually in child psychology at Brown University. Um, and that, so that's the educational pathway, um, all of it fit together, even though I did not sit down and plan it, but just, we'll leave that with your listeners
0: then. So tell us a little bit more about Rush. So now you're here at Rush university. What, what was your thoughts behind taking a position at Rush and tell us a little bit about Rush. Oh, Rush is really exciting.
1: I, uh, I, you know, it's my first time in the Midwest, so I'm in Chicago, for those who may not be familiar with it. But Rush has this fascinating background and Luther mm-hmm. Christman looms large, if you will. And I'm, I'm, I'll I'm, tell a little bit of a story because I once again, not knowing what people knew about um, the Chicagoland area, but um the roots to Rush, the College of Nursing, actually go back to the 1800s, and so the alumni refer to it as it's the Saint Luke's Presbyterian Rush. You know, it's okay. this three three long named, and now in the past 50 years, it has only been sort of the modern Rush is referred to as Rush University College of Nursing, but previous to that, there is this long history in Chicago of um, nursing or you know education coming mm-hmm. from those facilities however luther christman who was a really an amazing maverick so a that appealed to me but he in the 50s and 60s he was one of the you know few men in nursing and who had come up through the ranks in academia himself. And I really think he um, he does share a little bit of history with Vanderbilt, something yes, he does. listeners may be interested <laughs> in also. But he ended up in, in Chicago uh, as the first dean of what we call the modern rush, if you will, about 50, uh, approximately 50 years ago or so. And his vision at the time was that practice and education should really be integrated and be more hand in hand, not to go back to the days of the, you know, diploma schools where the students were only working a lot and got some education, but to really be grounded in practice as a way of having education move forward. And at mm-hmm. the time he w- that was not a popular concept. And so he was able to work with the first, um, uh, colleague in medicine at the time, the chief of of medicine at Rush, and set up a really uh, uh, joint model so that nursing on the hospital side, this was not out in the community at that point, but on the hospital side, that all of the faculty within the College of Nursing both had academic appointments and they worked some percentage of time within the hospital setting. And um, that was, you know, he also was the CNO of the hospital for a while, which to me is crazy, given how much work that is between the two worlds. But um, he was an unusual and a very much a thought leader at the time. Um, He was behind the American Academy of Nursing, which is also a very little known uh, piece about uh, his contributions to uh, nursing, modern nursing, if you will. Um, So the history of that is intriguing. But I would say over the years that there has there was a um, probably a, a movement to where it wasn't as 100 percent that all faculty, for instance, had a joint appointment in the in the hospital setting. And a, clearly academia changed over those 50 years mm-hmm. with the increase from a baccalaureate program to graduate programs. And eventually, um rush over 10 years ago or so decided to move to an all graduate offering so we okay. have we have masters degrees in DNPs and dnp's and phd program
0: okay
1: um, and so modern rush or like the current rush if you will one of the distinguishing factors is that the uh, faculty kept uh, their hands and their eyes in the practice realm along the way. Mm-hmm. Variations along the way. But currently, as this is part of what attracted me to come here, is that the practice site, we have a faculty practice office, which is soon to be an official department within the college. That's, a, you know, new news on our end of the world. We run uh, practice clinics or, or different relationships, if you will, in Chicago in about 30 different locations. It is a huge enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is part of our DNA, as I just referenced, but it's also part of our faculty, our faculty workload, our, um, our encouragement of faculty, of, of how they integrate their own practice um, and their ability and their teaching load, research, scholarship, et cetera. So it's very robust. I believe we are the largest faculty practice in nursing in the United States. Um, I know things so. are number. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know there's a number of other Mm -hmm. wonderful institutions. I've been at a few of them in Mm -hmm. the past who also run various practice, you know, on a smaller scale, anywhere from one to maybe four, you know, four or five type of uh, settings, if you will. Um, And I really um, am encouraged that I hear at like AACN and other professional meetings, NOPF, et cetera, um, that that we are as nursing professionals are taking a look at grabbing a hold of our own autonomy and how how we function in the modern uh, practice setting. So um, I it was um, it was a very exciting opportunity and I was glad to be able to say yes to Rush when they came knocking at the door, if you will.
0: Well, it's definitely a fine institution. I've enjoyed visiting there. And yes, we have some similarities um, from my background at Vanderbilt, certainly with Luther Chrisman, but I do think it's really important that you make a point about saying that the nurse practitioner faculty are also practicing and the dual appointments with both the medical center and the school of nursing is, is very interesting. And it really shows that you take both of those things um, very greatly. I mean, those are not, can't do one without the other. I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, Christine, you um, didn't mention this, but Rush in the U.S. News and World Report is very highly ranked. So tell me, your DNP program right now, where is it in the rankings? Number one. So if all of our listeners could see she's holding up the finger, number one. They're number one in their doctoral of nursing practice program, which is fantastic. The nurse practitioners there are so well-educated, and we often see uh, many of their works, their publications, their presentations. So many are involved in research, and we see that out in the nurse practitioner in the healthcare community. And so many of our nurse practitioners across the United States are able to work at academic uh, centers and go to very large universities like Rush, but there are a lot of different sizes and programs out there. And I think in general, nurse practitioner education is very strong and not everybody knows all of the tenants of that education, but we'll get to that in a moment. But I want to jump back to you, Christine, because your background is, is, is so fascinating. And there are a couple of things that I really wanted to highlight for our listeners When I was looking back at your transition to Rush, A lot of people stepped up to talk about how excited they were to have you as their new dean. Certainly, we were all cheering here in Nashville as we heard the news. We have um, a lot of different faculty that were at Rush, and so we were very excited. But Dr. Sharon Gabriel, the president of Rush University, said specifically about all of your background and research. So you talked about your work as a nutritionist, but also how you went in to be a nurse practitioner how you are a pediatric nurse practitioner in your practice there, and certainly the work that you've done academically to get to where you are as dean. But she said when you came over specifically about your research with more than thirteen million in funding from the NIH, the National Institute of Nursing Resources, HERSA, the State of California Maternal Child Health Agency, has resulted in more than one hundred publications. More than 100 publications out there that you have written, she says her research has influenced health policy in communities across the globe. You have had such an impact on health policy in general nurse practitioners, but health policy in general, and particularly in the, in the maternal and in the infant and in the pediatric population. So when you and I were talking a few weeks ago, you mentioned your time in China, you mentioned specific work there. So that part of your background is so fascinating. Could you tell us just a little bit about your work in China? Sure, I'd love to
1: um and this is something that came out of my time at the University of California in San Francisco, okay. which was a wonderful institute to be part of for uh, over well two and a half decades actually um and the the I want to embed it a little bit in something you said just a few seconds ago, which is about my research in public policy and also the pediatric connection. One of the things that um, I want to encourage l- the listeners to think about is this um, bifurcated decision making that uh, I think um, sometimes is overplayed in nursing in particular, saying, well, you you can either be a clinician, Or Mm -hmm. you can be Mm -hmm. an academic or you can be a researcher as if those are separate three buckets or three lanes of professional uh, development and uh, contribution. And so as I. Uh, let me give it to you, the listeners, in sort of a historic perspective. As I finished my Ph.D. in child psychology, which was a great match to a pediatric nurse practitioner master's degree, I moved out to San Francisco and I joined the faculty there. And as a um, As many people would know, UCSF is a very uh, intense, research-intensive academic program in in Mm -hmm. place. And practice was important, but not a criteria of our faculty roles at the time. But I kept my practice up, and I would say that I was probably in a minority at that that time. So we're talking, you know, the early 90s, um, which is getting on in years ago, but it It was something that was a little unique. And one of the reasons that um, China, the projects in China came about was because my research had always been grounded in the questions that I had or that arose out of my practice settings. And so um, as I was working in the communities in San Francisco, one of the department chairs had had a eye on my work, if you will. And I my work at that time, my research and practice had been around how does media influence children's developing health behaviors? And so Mm -hmm. because um, one tenet of research is to replicate your work. My dissertation work had been uh, with children who were in the Rhode Island area. And San Francisco had very different populations. San Francisco is like New York. It's like a mini United Nations. You know, there's people from all around the world. And so as, as I was trying to replicate the work in the dominant populations in San Francisco, there is a very large historic um Chinese, Chinese American population in, in, in the city and uh, uh, a individual at the university introduced me to colleagues in Hong Kong. And she said, I, you know, Hong Kong at the time was still under the rule of the as a British colony. So this is mm-hmm. how far this goes back. Um, and um they were transitioning from basically nursing schools that were designed in the British model to where they would have autonomy to design their own uh, nursing, nursing practice. And they really wanted to emphasize how would nurses uh, and these were more bedside hospital based practice because the nurse practitioner movement really wasn't outside of the United States at that point. Um, and so. Originally, the ask was Could you be a consultant? Could you come to Hong Kong, work with people at Hong Kong PolyU, and design some intervention work for the children in the hospitals in Hong mm-hmm. Kong? And I was uh, actually very uncomfortable with that. I felt that that would be just taking a U.S. model and dropping it down onto a culture and a community who had very different uh, values and belief systems about how children are raised, what the health issues were at the time, and why were children hospitalized, what care looked like. So, I'll give you one example, which I'm okay. sure the visitors will, uh, visitors, sorry, what the, um, in the visiting policy. So, unlike the United States, where Bedside nurses are the primary individual that a a child might see during their hospitalization with some family policies, if you will. In Mm -hmm. Hong Kong at the time, and definitely in China mainland, the families are the caregivers during hospitalization at the bedside. And the nurses were actually a a, a bit more distance, both physically, if you will, and would not have been giving their care by bathing the child or feeding the child or any of those things we sort of take for granted on how we assess how a child is is doing. So the ask was to, you know, come and uh, deliver our model in the U.S. And I and I really thought that with some brought some other colleagues in from UCSF. And as we spent time in Hong Kong, we said, you know what? is isn't how we should approach this. We'd rather mm-hmm. have it be a research approach so that we can document what the nurses in China in seven different cities and also in Hong Kong uh, felt their domain of practice was. How mm-hmm. did they want to approach family-centered care? Because the families were really in the center of care, but in a different kind of way. So that project was a, a wonderful Multi well, multi country but multi city project working with a number of uh, nurses both in Hong Kong and in China mainland and really opened my eyes. And uh, we contributed to the literature talking about how our Western models aren't necessarily the best or right. a, a, the most appropriate. And it was a time where I think nursing was just starting to grapple with, if you will, uh, using the words like cultural sensitivity. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what does that mean? You know, and what does it, you can't publish a book and just say, Oh, everybody from X country believes why information about why a disease comes about, or how do you treat it, etc. So it was a, it was a, um, a good time to be starting in that work mm-hmm. around children's health, uh, especially because I my my domain was around behavior and modernization. And China was going through a fair amount of modernization and had not been um, open to a lot of visitors from the Western Hemisphere, et cetera, et cetera, except for some right. political right. elements. So it was um, it was fun. It was mm-hmm. hard. It was um a door opener to some other work for me. But I really um, felt bringing the nursing perspective was well appreciated, even if we don't bring what we do exactly to another group of people.
0: Right. That's interesting how that all unfolded. And I love how you said, as a nurse, we don't we don't we don't have tunnel vision to one thing were multiple things. And, and so you have such a strong background in not only health policy and research and practice and all that you have brought to the profession. We could talk for days about what you you individually, personally have brought to our profession. But I want to get to the subject of NP education today. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about, um, specific to the United States now, our NP education system. So all of our programs are required to be accredited in order for us to be licensed and to be board certified in what we do. I think a lot of times people skip over that part, but that is so important that we have very stringent, very rigorous standards by which our education is put into place. And so now you're there at the top DNP center, one of the top nursing schools in the world. And so tell us about NP education, your thoughts on NP education today. And then we've, you know, the future of nursing report has come out recently, lots about education and where we're going in the future. So tell us about where you feel we are today and where we are going in the future in terms of educating our up and coming nurses that are going into practice as a nurse practitioner.
1: Yeah, I think nursing, especially advanced practice nursing in the United States is in really good shape. I wish we'd Mm -hmm. give ourselves more credit for how we've gotten here and the contributions that um, people have made along the way. I do at times get a little, you know, ruffled around the edges about how nursing has a tendency at times to sort of shoot ourselves in the foot along the mm-hmm. way. But the, the the question that you have about sort of like the re- regulation and accreditation, I think to stay in the public trust, and we certainly know that nurses writ large are considered the most trustworthy profession across the United States for, I don't know, I think it's like 18 years now or, or, mm-hmm, or not mm-hmm. that we've reckoned. And certainly there's been a... a um, uh uh, the pandemic has brought oh to light brought yes. to light the role of nurses writ large in, in terms of right. care, but also as sources of trusted information. And I think mm-hmm. that part of that accolade, if you will, and the reason that the American public generally, you know, votes us as the most trustworthy is because, we don't, we haven't made shortcuts. So we have very solid educational programs across the United States. There's a reason it takes time. I, I know there's pressure in some places to, you know, gee, could we make it faster? Could it be, um, you know, in a different modality, et cetera. And I don't think there's any shortcuts to quality. And so I, I think that, um, As much as it's challenging at times, and certainly the fiscal elements and budget uh, have a um, can have a challenge for colleges and and programs, if you will. Um, It's important that we do two things at the same time, that we hold on to what we believe are the most important considerations for developing people's um, educational mindset in their Um, abilities and skills, but that we don't we don't lock ourselves down into there is only one way to do it. And I think the pandemic has sort of blown open the idea that there's only one way to get an education. And I'll I'll tell a confession on myself. If you would ask me this question 25 years ago, I would say, oh, there's no way that anybody can get educated in an online modality. I mean, I just, I, you know, firm believer and, you know, meet people you know physically residentially you sat in a seat the faculty just offloaded all those wonderful things they thought you needed to know and you know they would be by your side watching your skills and as you practice as an as a developing nurse practitioner but the pandemic I think has opened a lot of people's eyes about you know there are more there are many different ways for people to demonstrate that they're learning something or they're getting exposed to or, or they have competence And the big big challenge coming up for the in the next couple of years clearly is competency based education and um, other professions have developed models in that regards, airline pilots, physicians, et cetera, have competency based approaches to demonstration of you know, very important content and, and skill set. But nursing hasn't lived in that space. We certainly mm-hmm. have skills competencies as, uh, you know, check out skills, that sort of thing. But we haven't educated writ large. Um, so I think it's going to be um, the next couple of years and hopefully it'll be in a post pandemic, mm. you know, uh, situation, but who knows where that will go. Um, That as we look at how do we design the future best possible educational models using competency based education, because that is a mandate from AACN that Mm -hmm. we all move in that direction. And at the same time, still embrace innovation, uh, different techniques to have people learn and demonstrate their learning and to practice, you know, before they go out. As a licensed individual to practice what they've learned with the, you know, whatever their specialty is. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I think, one of the uh, elements of uh, the work here at Rush. Is the willingness to experiment and to look at, well, we're doing it this way, and we're doing it really well, but is there mm-hmm. a different way or a better way if if you will? And so I'm excited that although um, right now, I think in the United States nursing is just trying to sort of hold on in many mm-hmm. ways because of the um, the pandemic um, eventually, that will hopefully, Mm -hmm. dissipate and we'll be able to really uh, continue to focus on how do we innovate within our profession? Because we cannot, we can't solve the problems of the future by educating and only using those questions and mindsets that we developed in the past. We really do need to think sometimes outside of the box or outside of the four walls, if you will. So I'm excited and I'm optimistic that um, advanced practice in particular still has uh, great possibilities for developing across the United States. Um, You know, we'll see what happens in the political space around health Mm -hmm. policy and influencing how is care distributed in the United States and what are the care opportunities, I would really like to see more independent autonomous practice, you know, uh, transpiring, if you will, and being Mm -hmm. reimbursed. For our care, Uh, you know, many different states have moved to complete um, autonomy and practice for advanced practice nurses or nurse practitioners. Um, But but not everybody. Right.
0: So Mm -hmm. still have a way to go. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And that, I think, backs into um, the other piece that you made a quick reference to about my background of which um, I'm looking forward to having. Rush and other universities further develop something that I feel is still missing in education for nurse practitioners um, is the aspect of policy. I think right. it is it is the fourth lever in our educational you know, box, if you will, to have our leadership, our, our practitioners understand that they have an opportunity because they are the most trusted, but also because you're very well educated as a a group of uh, practitioners or um, providers to influence policy. And and by that, I mean, you know, stake the claim for we're well educated, we're already regulated, we come Mm -hmm. out of accredited programs and We can provide care for a large percentage of the American public in a cost worthy way and with the same or better outcomes of our physician colleagues. And I don't think it has to be dualistically, you know, we're better or they're worse or any of that kind of mindset. But I still am anxious to see. Team based care. Move out mm-hmm. into uh, a more robust offering, if if you mm-hmm. will. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity. You know, the health, the health indices in the United States would suggest that the United States is not doing a great job taking care of our population. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. there's plenty of opportunity for us to still influence policy at both at the state house and at the federal level. To be able to have nurses provide care, not just in primary care, but obviously population care uh, and make and make a difference. And so I, I just like to encourage, you know, especially younger clinicians to think about, you know, along the way developing their voice and supporting their professional organizations in the sense of, you know, write that letter to your legislator, show up when people ask you to come and and talk about why what you do is um, important for us to be supported.
0: I couldn't agree more. Everything that you've said is exactly what we need to hear um our education continues to evolve as the as healthcare evolves but nurses are innovators and you are exactly right we have shown that Over and over again, especially um, in these past couple of years, we're innovators. We're continually making it better. And we're doing that with education as well. It's not just about time based education, it's about competency. It's about really focusing on effective patient care outcomes. And I love the fact that we have to be open in policy to who is the center of the care. And your experience in, in China actually reflects that really well. It's really the person, it's the individual. They're the ones that are the center of the care. Care should be directed by the patient and they should be able to be empowered to do that. And nurses do that so well. And I absolutely agree, nurse practitioners, especially those students, and I teach in health policy, oftentimes they're just trying to get through that class and get that done but we are the leaders in terms of health policy and being able to state or share our voice in, in in terms of what's going to happen in the future of healthcare. Access is number one, equitable care, understanding social determinants of care, That's what we do. And so I just so appreciate your time today, Christine. You have such a vast background and so much wisdom for us all. And so I hope that our listeners today treasured every word, just like I did. And we can all uh, look to the future, be proud of the fact we have chosen to be nurses, nurse practitioners, and it is somewhat of a wandering path, like you said, but we are continuing to learn and grow and give back each and every day. So thank you for your time. Thank you for being with us today. And I look forward to seeing you again at some point in the future. Thank you so
1: much. I really enjoyed the outreach and I hope your listeners have an opportunity to look at Rush sometime for either their further education or join us on the faculty side. So I'll put a plug in for doing that.
0: You have lots of scholarships and lots of different programs out there that are available to not just in Chicago, but across the United States and the globe. You have such a fantastic program. So thank you so much. And we'll look thank forward you. to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dean Kennedy. Your commitment to health equity and access to care has advanced healthcare worldwide. And it is evident that you bring this wealth of knowledge and experience to your students every day. Because of you, our next generation of NPs have a clear pathway to follow and to lead in delivering valuable, accessible, equitable health care. NP education and training has been exceptional throughout the years, and this is evidenced by decades of studies demonstrating the NP's impact in patient care. Recently, AANP served as one of 19 organizations in a national nursing task force to update educational standards to meet today's evolving healthcare needs. AANP's focus on continuing education provides immediately accessible education on demand as well as workshops and conferences throughout the year. Please join us for this year's National Conference in Orlando, Florida by registering today. We are thrilled to be joined by keynote Eric Wall and Martin Luther King III. We will be celebrating our newest fellows, international ambassadors, and NPA accomplishments everywhere. There will be CE sessions, networking, and so much more. I am looking forward to seeing you and many NPs from across the country and the world. Follow the link in this episode's description to register today. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back regularly for new episodes. And as always, be kind, be safe, be effective, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner.